The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. It's going to be a wild dash here. In a matter of a second. Chance. Marching is two. Hedrian Johnson for the victory. Oh, wow. The angle looked good from here. But Maryland survives. The Terrapins take it. 67 65. I thought it was going in, and I bet a lot of you who root for Maryland thought it was going in as well. But it didn't, and the Terps beat West Virginia 67 65. Uh, and they advance to the second round. They'll face Alabama in Birmingham tomorrow night. Uh, it's a 9:40 tip, so they go from being the first game in the first round yesterday to being the last game on the first day of the second round. I don't know that any, anybody has more time in between the end of their first round game and the start of their second round game. They'll need it to recover because yesterday against West Virginia, uh, that was exhausting. Um, I'm going to get to that game here in a moment. Uh, first of all, the show today is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. All you have to do is wager your deposit amount one time, and you're eligible to cash out right away. Most books don't let you do that. MyBookie is, uh, and it's perfect for the tournament. If you just want to bet the tournament, um, bet the tournament, and then cash out when you're done, if you're up. You know, not everybody's up when you finish. I certainly wasn't after yesterday. I have another smell test at the end of the show, um, but you probably don't want it after I went two and four uh, yesterday. No, we got a good bounce back day coming. Uh, Five picks at the end of the show. Mybookie.ag, use my promo code. Kevin DC. I'll get to my Maryland recap here in a moment. Uh, but on the show today, Chris Naki will join me in the next segment. But at the end of this first segment, you're going to hear from Zach Jackson. Zach covers the Browns for the Athletic. And I'm having ja- uh, Zach on the show to talk about Jacoby Brissett. And I've already recorded the interviews, so you'll hear Zach talk about Jacoby Brissett and describe him as hilarious. Why is he hilarious? Well, stay tuned. Uh, Zach Jackson from The Athletic coming up in a few moments. By the way, a couple of quick football notes before I get to a recap of the Maryland game from yesterday and talk a little bit more about the tournament. Um, First of all, there is news from Pro Football Talk overnight, uh, news that the Snyders have exited the the building in terms of moving out of the building in Ashburn. Um, that happened, uh, according to reports, back in December. Um, but they also described the word coming out of the building as the sale being imminent. Um, I do think that we are getting closer to the end of this thing. And uh, there will be quite... Um, a discussion about the past and about the future when it happens. Um, I do think it's going to happen. I do think Josh Harris and now the Josh Harris Harris Mitchell Rails bid will end up being the bid that wins. That's my guess, and I do think that it'll happen sooner rather than later. I think that's been my take for a while now. Um, so we shall see. By the way, Tommy tweeted out. If you missed this, um, Michael Jordan is in talks to sell his 
equity stake in the Charlotte Hornets, which he's owned for quite some time. Tommy tweeted out this morning, for what it's worth, in November, I, as in Tommy, was told by someone who claimed inside knowledge that a New York investment firm was interested in commanders and Michael Jordan would be a part of the bid. Was never able to confirm it, but their information included Jordan's selling stake in the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, Tommy has great sources. I know this was not a report by Tommy. It's a for what it's worth, um, but it would be interesting, wouldn't it, if Michael Jordan once again uh, held an equity stake in a D.C. sports franchise. Didn't go so well the first time 22 years ago or whatever that was uh, now. Speaking of Tommy, Tommy's been hell-bent, right, on this notion that Taylor Heineke wasn't going to play here because the relationship, um, he felt betrayed, or that was Tommy's feeling, um, and he felt like that that was kind of confirmed by Taylor Heineke's college coach who went on Galdi's podcast um, recently. Well, this was Taylor Heineke yesterday uh, in his introductory press conference talking about Washington and how the deal with Atlanta went down. I was very tough. You know, that's, I, I feel like that's a, that's a home for me. Um, you know, I've built a lot of great relationships there. There's a lot of great memories there. Um, you know, they, they gave me my second chance at football and um, you know, there's a lot of special people up there, but you know, it's, you know, I'm going from one home to another. Um, so it's, it's a pretty easy process, but I'll be lying to you not to say I was, you know, a little heartbroken um, to leave those people up there. Atlanta said they were interested from the beginning. I uh, didn't know how much how interested they were, but um, there was some interest there. And um, honestly, I was about to sign back with Washington about two or three days ago, and Atlanta comes in with a with a better offer. And, and I sat back and thought about it. And you know, my family's from around here. I'm from around here. Um, you know, my little nephew's going to be able to come see me at training camp and and go to the game. So you know, that was that was a big part of it. And I'm just happy to be home and 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 uh, you know do that for my family. Didn't exactly sound to me like a guy that felt so betrayed and had such a rift with the head coach that playing in Washington wasn't going to be an option for him. Sounds like it was pretty close. Um, But, you know, I will certainly uh, allow for the possibility that Taylor Heineke was taking the high road. Uh, He certainly seems like a high road person to me and that there was nothing to gain by throwing Ron Rivera under the bus publicly. Um, But we will certainly talk about Taylor Heineke's introductory press conference in Atlanta on Tuesday's show and get Tommy's reaction to it. A couple of other quick NFL notes, just uh, Washington kind of related. Wes Schweitzer signed with the Jets. That's number one. Number two, a couple of the other quarterbacks that we were thinking about. Marcus Mariota got a one-year $5 million deal in Philly because Gardner Minshew is in Indianapolis at like three and a half million. He didn't get that much. Bottom line is Jacoby Brissett ended up getting probably, I think at this point, the best deal for a perceived backup, maybe part-time starter at $8 million guaranteed for one year. I think that's the best deal um, that any of the quarterbacks that we were talking about, you know, the Andy Daltons, Jacoby Brissett's, etc. Um, I think Brissett got the best deal. Um, not unusual for Washington to pay top of the market, and sometimes that's what they have to do to get somebody here. Also, uh, I read yesterday that Jacoby Brissett uh, represented himself. Uh, he does not have an agent. He's got advisors, um, but he represented himself. Uh, nothing new on Aaron Rodgers as of the recording of this podcast. More on Jacoby Brissett coming up in just a few minutes, but I want to spend just a few minutes recapping Maryland's win over West Virginia yesterday in the first round of the tournament. I thought that that game was an edge of your seat, start to finish thriller. 
I know it's not for everybody. I know if you like pretty and you like smooth and you like dainty, this one wasn't for you. But you should have expected with a Bob Huggins coach team that this was going to be a fist fight from the jump. And it was. Uh, It was expected, but I got to be honest with you, it was more than even I thought it would be. Both teams, back and forth, haymaker after haymaker. This was pure contact sport yesterday. Uh, this was this wasn't boxing. This was a brawl. All right, the screens were violent. Uh, one one of them knocked uh, by Juju Smith knocked out the kid on the other team, Matthews. The boxing out was overly physical defenses trying to totally disrupt offenses and it didn't matter how they did it even if they fouled the fouling in the game prolific 43 fouls called in the game it could have easily been twice that but if they were to whistle everything in that game the game would have lasted four hours it lasted two and a half hours as it was I loved it Uh, I, I just love these kinds of competitive you know, sort of blood feuds. And I know that it's not really a rivalry, but there's something there between West Virginia and Maryland people, you know, more so probably in football, but Maryland had, you know, been bullied out of the tournament with Mellow Trimble eight years ago. Um, and to get back uh, at West Virginia um, and to send them home uh, was lovely. Um, I would have been crushed had they lost that game, but I think I would have been able to sit back uh, and acknowledge that this game was damn good. Again, not aesthetically pleasing for those that want the game played smoothly and without a lot of physicality, but this game was great from that standpoint. So a couple of things about the game that I liked. First of all, just the back and forth nature. I mean, you know, West Virginia came out, they bullied Maryland for the first 10 minutes of the game. They took a a 13-point lead, 19-6. to The Terps had four points at the 10-minute mark. They had turned it over six times. West Virginia was jumping every ball screen. They were doubling down. They had quick hands. And Maryland just wasn't ready for this all-out assault by West Virginia at the beginning. Um, But West Virginia, you know, Maryland's come back from some big deficits this year, I got to be honest with you, in the moment, I thought they were in trouble because it's one thing not to shoot it well and to get behind. It's the it's another thing to really be, um, you know, beat up uh, physically. And they were. They were not ready for West Virginia. I mean, this was all over them. It was white on rice defensively. I mean, you couldn't budge if you were Jameer Young early. Any kind of traffic, they stripped it. Any kind of ball screen, they doubled it hard and aggressively. Every post up was doubled down with quick hands. Every passing lane was jumped into. And they had a 13-point lead. Maryland couldn't score. It was their defense, which it's been all year long, that kept them alive and well. You know, there was a a timeout there with Kevin Willard, and Kevin was on the radio show this morning, so you can listen to that on the uh, team980.com with me. Um, But there was a... um, there was a point in which I think it was the second TV timeout. Tracy Wolfson interviewed Willard and he said, look, we've had these starts before. We've come back before. And he goes, to be honest with you, considering how poorly we've played to be only down nine because it was 13 to four at that point, um, we feel pretty good about it. Um, the, the back and forth nature of the game, though, you know, Maryland's down 13 early. Then the Terps come back on a 32 to 12 run to take a two point halftime lead. Then West, then then the Terps go up seven to start the second half. Then West Virginia scores 16 unanswered to take the lead by nine. Then Maryland comes back and takes a five point lead. Then West Virginia cuts into that and they've got a three point you know attempt on the run on the move at the buzzer to win it. And it was just barely off. And Maryland won a game in which both teams at the end looked spent. 67-65. The game lasted two and a half hours. There were 43 fouls, 38 free throw attempts. Free throw attempts, he said. 13 total steals, seven block shots. I loved it. I loved the fact that they won more than anything else. Juju Reese, um, what a game he had. 
He put his stamp on this game over the final seven, eight minutes when the big guy, Bell, fouled out. What a game. Probably his most important game uh, to finish the way he did after he got beat up a little bit early uh, in that game. Finished with 17-9, and nine, three block shots, and, and Maryland got out-rebounded in this game, but at the end, it was re-scrabbing a lot of the big rebounds along with Dante Scott. But a terrific game from Julian Reese. I thought Dante Scott was huge in the first half. He seemed to settle them down, had a couple of big buckets. He played outstanding defense, and I thought Hakeem Hart was great in the game, too. I'd also mention that Ian Martinez, before he got in foul trouble, was doing a great job along with Scott, and really it was a team effort to shut down Eric Stevenson, uh, their big-time scorer, who went 4 of 17 and ended up with 9 points and was harassed from the jump and actually didn't even play to start the second half. Huggins was so disgusted uh, with him. Um, It was... It was, a, it was a great basketball game. Maryland got jumped early. Um, they responded. Rebounding was a problem for them. Um, their defense, as it's really been what's carried them, especially away from home, was so good in the first half. Not so good during a 16-0 run uh, in the second half, uh, in which, by the way, um, Kedrian Johnson ended up with 13 of the 16 points during that stretch. Um, but I, I just I, I loved the basketball game. I loved both teams and their fight and their resilience when they would get down. One thing in particular really pissed me off. There was a replay review with Maryland seemingly having all the momentum at the beginning of the second half. They were up 38-31. They had taken a seven-point lead, so they basically you know, turned the tables by 20 points, down 13, up seven. And there were only about 18 minutes. There, there, it was only about two minutes into the second half, 18 minutes left in the game. And the refs went to, to the review to review what looked like a slip screen by Dante Scott, which was a ridiculous review. The, the, these two teams had been brawling in the first half, throwing each other around, and they took five minutes on this uh, to look at it. And I think it really sapped a lot of the momentum. Kevin Willard uh, on with me this morning um, agreed with it. But um, phenomenal game. Great offensive rebound by Dante Scott at the end. Uh, The free throw shooting wasn't great. You know, they missed four out of their last seven, which is why West Virginia had a chance there at the end. Jameer Young, uh, look, he's had some rough games recently. They have really gotten physical with him, teams have. They've kind of forced him away from getting to his left hand. Uh, They were jumping every ball screen, and um, it was a rough day. But the fact that they came through with it, with him having only one made field goal on the day, ended up with 10 points on the day, but one made field goal, six turnovers, and they still survived was huge. Um, that was a big win. The Terps have had you know, a lot of success in the first round of tournaments. I, I think they've only been eliminated three times in, in, in uh, school history. Um, in the first round, they 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 advanced to that second round a lot, and they did with the last guy, Mark, as well. Um, but this was a big win, and I thought Kevin Willard did a great job. You know, he's done a really good job with with this team. The development of Reese has been really amazing because Reese now you could debate is the best and most impactful player on the team, but he did a great job of not getting rattled. Um, and I think he's got a veteran team, which really, really helps him. Uh, and he's got some really higher IQ players. I thought this was a really smart game for Dante Scott. Patrick Emelian's always super smart as a player. And I'll tell you what, Reese, Reese really has a good feel for the game. Um, it's Alabama next, seven and a half point dogs right now. I see it at eight in a few spots. My bookie's got it at seven and a half right now. Um, the real issue is Brandon Miller and his health. Uh, Brandon Miller is one of the two or three best players in the country. He'll be a very uh, you know top three to five pick. Um, this was the Brandon Miller involved in the homicide down in Tuscaloosa. Um, he was on the periphery of that. Um, but uh, Brandon Miller has kind of an aggravated hamstring, and he didn't score in Bama's win over Texas A&M Corpus Christi yesterday. They got to play him in Birmingham late at night. Won't be easy. My gut, though, is is that this Bama team is more beatable 
as even as a one seed, then the team they faced two years ago as a two seed. I thought that team actually had more talent. We'll ask Naki um, about that coming up. But before we get to that, uh, I want uh, to talk with Zach Jackson about Jacoby Brissett. So let's bring Zach on to the show. Uh, jumping on with us right now is Zach Jackson. Zach covers the Browns for the Athletic. I'm pretty sure we've had Zach on before, probably before the Browns Skins game at the end of the year. You can follow Zach on Twitter at Akron Jackson. Um, and the reason for calling you this time, Zach, is Jacoby Brissett. And I'll just start with what is Washington getting in Jacoby Brissett? Um, someone who's hilarious someone who's seen a lot in this league, um, someone who played better last year than anybody outside his own circle and his own building, um, thought he could in some really weird circumstances. You know, I, I don't know that he was as good as some of his numbers, and I don't know that he will reach his goal of being a starting quarterback for the long term, but he's a sharp dude. He's an experienced dude. Um, you know, the offense was not the problem last year in in the Browns 11 games or in general. And I would just tell you, you know, the team I cover is an absolute train wreck. The team you cover is an absolute train wreck. Like he's, he's seen a lot. (laughs) He's, he's been on different teams. He's been on different circumstances. He's been asked to play on no notice. He's been asked to come in and, you know, hold the ship down. And like, you know, I was looking other places, um, but I think it makes sense, and I, I, I like the signing by the Commanders. I think he would be good enough to keep them in the playoff race. So do you think, because I had Mary Kay Cabot on my radio show yesterday, she actually just, her default was, well, they signed Jacoby Brissett to be the starter. When, in fact, they've got Sam Howell on the roster, and there's been a lot of discussion. Actually, they've labeled him as QB1 going into the offseason. What do you think? Did you think when he signed in Washington that he was being signed to be the starter? Yeah, you know, I'm aware that they labeled Sam Howell QB1 uh, without knowing a ton about Sam Howell and only have seen the commanders in Week 17 last year when most people were just there to boo Carson Wentz, right? Yeah. I would say that if Sam Howell beats out Jacoby Brissett and is better than Jacoby Brissett, then that's good for the commanders because I would assume that Jacoby Brissett would, would be the best man for that job. That, that's, just, and like I said, that's totally outside looking in, but just having watched Jacoby and knowing Jacoby's experience level versus where Sam is and where the commanders want to be and need to be, right? I, I would assume that Brissett would, would win the job. You said he's hilarious. That's the second or third time I've heard that he's got a very quick sense of humor. But just you describe why you said he's hilarious. Yeah, I just I think he's very dry. I think he's very aware of his surroundings. You know, um, he was kind of keeping receipts on on all the doubters, which guys are within their rights to do. You know, um, and like I said, he did not. He, he's not a superhero, and he was not awesome. Uh, he had two really awful games, in fact. But when you both grade on the curve of the Brown circumstances in the Browns history, and you look at how he moved the ball, um, you know what, how he just never got himself into all of the mess and all of the, the drama that was going around, and you know the number of times he put the Browns in position to win against a couple of really good teams, um, games that could have gone either way and probably should have gone another way. Um, I think he's, you know, I just, everybody in that organization is rooting for him. And that says a lot, you know. And I think when you look at the whole track record of New England drafts him to be a three-year-down-the-road development guy, and in week three they have to play him on a short week. They trade him the next year to the Colts on awful circumstances. He plays awful, but he steadies himself. He wins the job the next year. He gets a contract. You know, all the Watson stuff, flying around, playing on short notice the year before in Miami, like, this guy is he, he no one will say anything other than he's a good person he's a smart person he's a good player and you know i think the commanders are better for having him in the room and we'll just see how it shakes out the next six months so why isn't he back is it just a matter of watson's contract you've got to get the cheapest possible backup that's the largest reason yeah i mean he wants to play too you know he he he, he wants to play and obviously the browns are all in on watson so they would have wanted him back. I know that. 
but they knew money-wise they weren't getting there. And they, like I said, they weren't just resigned to the fact that he was going to go get that opportunity. People there wanted him to go get that opportunity. So everyone did the link to Arizona, where the Browns' former quarterback's coach is the new coordinator, and obviously Kyler's not going to be ready for week one over there. You know, the Bucks chose Baker Mayfield. So, uh, you know, I think it's a good fit. And, you know, the fact that it happened three days into free agency tells me they prioritized that they did their homework, and we'll see what happens. Um, really good information, Zach. I, I really do appreciate it. I do want to ask you just real quickly because the Cleveland game here, here as it's been dubbed, um, which was the game in which they decided to go back to Wentz and they needed to win the game to, you know, potentially lock down a playoff berth. They would have been the, the seven seed with a win over Cleveland and then a subsequent win the following week over the Cowboys, which they got anyway. Um, it, it, it's it's weird because Wentz was rattled. He didn't play well. It was a bad decision, clearly. Um, but I'm curious as to, from your standpoint, what you guys thought of Deshaun Watson that day. I thought it was probably the only time in watching him from afar that there was a stretch of the game where he looked like Deshaun Watson. What did you guys think of Watson's game in Washington? That's right. That's the only good half he played in six games. He was terrible. So we know he has a track record of being better. We know he's talented, and we did see a couple of other glimpses of it, right? But there's not one metric that says he was good. There's not one person who watched and says he was good. And so the Browns just have to bank on the circumstances being what. And they signed up for all this, right? It was exactly a year ago today um, that they did the trade. And, you know, they see he's 27. He's led the league in passing. He obviously can create from outside of the pocket, which he did that day in Washington, and they've made their big bet. So, you know, they're, they're just a bad organization and have been for a long time, top-down, <laughs> train wreck, constant change, and they probably had no business taking this on, right? Because they, in doing so, they were saying the rest of their roster is good enough and that they were strong enough organizationally to take it on. But when you look around the AFC and you see Mahomes and you see Joe Burrow, I probably would have made a desperation trade, too. So, I'm certainly not ruling Deshaun Watson out, but your assessment of that being the only good stretch is absolutely the only assessment that anybody could make at this point. Zach Jackson, he writes for The Athletic. Uh, You should subscribe to The Athletic. He is the Ben Standing equivalent covering the Browns in Cleveland. Really good information on Jacoby Brissett. Really appreciate it, Zach. Thanks. Really really helpful. Naki next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nicholas, the senior, with two seconds. Here he goes. That was 20 years ago, Nashville, Tennessee, first round of the NCAA tournament. The Terps were the defending national champions, and Drew Nicholas hit the walk-off three, a dagger uh, to beat UNC Wilmington, 75-73. That was the Jim Nance call with Billy Packer. 
Uh, Naki's jumping on with us right now. I I looked for the radio call. I could not find it. I know I've heard the Johnny call with you, you know, kind of yelling in the background, and I've heard your description <laughs> of it, and we'll hear it again. But for whatever reason, I could not find the radio call. I would have come in with the radio call instead. Uh, but I appreciate but that's one of the yeah. all-time, you know, March Madness buzzer beaters. What do you remember about it? Well, I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday, and it was it was a good game. Terps were uh, it played a Wilmington, a UNC Wilmington team that was just incredibly well prepared. Brad Brad Brownell, right, who is still at Clemson, you know, was the coach. He did a good job, and it was just a, a big time guy making a big time shot. I, I've always thought, and I and I've talked to Gary about this. I've always thought the senior season that Drew Nicholas put together that year was one of the more underrated Maryland basketball seasons that we've ever seen. He averaged 18 points a game, made every big shot that year, including a similar kind of walk-off three at NC State. Yeah, I mean, he was just so good. Uh, but but I remember one of the reasons why I remember Kevin is because Nashville was such a great host yeah. <laughs> to the to the, to the sub regional they, they could they could play it there every year and folks would be happy it was so much fun and then to win a game like that late in the night was just added to the party it, it was spectacular. Nicholas, so I remember you telling me in the past, and I had Gary on the radio show, and Gary said his vantage point when Nicholas let the shot go was it was going in. He knew it was online. You've, I think your description of it was the same. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and he shot it confidently. He was, he got a clean look, uh, it was kind of a runner for sure, but but from where I was, I mean, I just felt like it was true the minute it left his hands, and and you know also by that time, as I said, you'd gotten to used to Drew doing Drew things that year, uh, you know, and and it didn't surprise me at all that he would be a guy to make that shot. Yeah, they went on to beat Xavier in the second round. Actually, thumped Xavier, who was the higher seated team. Um, I. Th- think they were uh, yeah they sure were and they had a, and, and a guy uh, david west, david west. The NBA forever. uh and, and it was one of those things too i remember because i was just talking to gary about this just a couple of days ago i i was talking about the drew shot and i i, I remember walking in to the to the open practices on the day in between the games watching xavier play uh work out and i'm thinking man the Terps are going to come in here like they were shot out of a rocket uh, after the way they won against Wilmington, and and they they handled handled uh, Xavier really really easily in that second game. Yeah, won that game easily, and then the crushing loss to Michigan State, which there wow. have been a couple of them in the tournament. They rallied, I think, yeah. from sixteen or seventeen back, had a chance, and Blake had an open look from you know yep. distance from behind the arc, but you know probably a twenty six twenty seven footer to win it. Um, and that was his last shot in the last game of uh, his decorated career. That they, I think it was Texas who we would have played had we won that game in the yeah. Elite Eight. That's exactly right. Yeah, we were in San Antonio, and uh, and with that comeback, you know, all the stars were in line, and, and Blake himself over four years had made big shot after big shot. I think that Gary would have taken that shot nine times out of ten. You know, Blake with a chance to win the game. It was open from just beyond the top of the key, but it just didn't happen. All right, let's talk about yesterday, and then we'll talk about tomorrow night. Um, I've already, uh, you know, given my quick kind of recap of the game. I'll just ask you, just tell me what you thought of that game that you witnessed courtside, courtside yesterday, Maryland 67, West Virginia 65. Yeah, I think Willard was spot on afterwards when he said it felt like a boxing match. You know, punch, counterpunch. Uh, I thought that there were a lot of kind of interesting storylines. You know, Maryland's best player all year long has been Jameer Young, um, and yet he really struggled in the game. Uh, it looked to me like early on that there was a little bit of nerves, a little bit of not being able to deal with a such an early wake-up call and game yesterday, but a lot of West Virginia defense. They, they doubled the high screen, really made it hard for Jameer coming off the screen. They did exactly what UCLA had done to him, uh, back in December, and so he struggled, and as a result, the Terps struggled out of the gate, you know, down 19-6, but one of the things the Terps have done is they they fought back all year long, uh, to their credit. They got to the free throw line, they started to make a couple of shots, 
And then they started to kind of find a rhythm. Uh, their best player, Johnson, the point guard, went out with his second foul. They brought in a kid who we'd seen for years at Iowa, and uh, he, you know, he hit a couple of three pointers, but he didn't run much offense. And during that stretch, the Turks were able to whittle away. And once you get back in a game like that, you just feel like it's going to come down to the last possession or two. And uh, you know, things went Maryland's way. They made just enough plays. They stayed out of foul trouble, and um, uh, and ju- they made just enough free throws as well. Yeah, I mean, that that was my description of it, too. It was just one haymaker after another. This wasn't the sweet science of boxing. This was this was big haymaker looking for knockouts, you know, by each team. And the beginning of that game, look, we've seen this team get behind and, and fight back. You know, Michigan State, Purdue, um, you know, and early in the season, not so much. But they, they've really become a team whose defense allows them to kind of hang in there until they can yeah. figure it out offensively. But I'll tell you what, those punches that West Virginia threw in the first 10 minutes, you know, you mentioned the doubling of, of the ball screen. I mean, they were getting in the middle of the dribble handoff. I mean, it was it was bully ball the way you would expect a Huggins team to play without without the pressing. And I, you know, I was legitimately concerned. You know, I I I I thought back to UCLA, you know, Michigan on the road. And I was like, where is it going to come from? And I thought, in many ways, it came from Dante Scott settling him down offensively. What did you think? Yeah, and yeah, so, you know, the, I thought there were a couple of things that happened. Um, you know, so Jameer goes to the bench with, I don't know, like 12 minutes to play with four fouls, right? And yeah, the so second now half, you're, yeah. And they're down. They're down, right. And so they're down, and you're wondering – all right, where's where are the points going to come from? Uh, how 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 are the Terps going to respond offensively? Because, as you said, the defensive had kept them in the conversation in this game. So, two things happened. Dante really settled himself down. I thought he played as cerebral a game as we've seen. He didn't never really got outside his comfort zone or tried stuff that he couldn't do. Uh, he was did a lot of subtle things. The rebound, the offensive rebound, he grabbed inside the last minute of Huge. play allowed for an extra 20 seconds of possession. That was just monstrous. Yep. And uh, and on the on the stat sheet, it just shows up as, as one rebound. But the other thing that happened, with, not just with Dante, but Julian Reese just became a different guy at that stretch. And part of it was because West Virginia's own big uh, uh, bell uh, had fouled out. So now there's not nearly as much resistance around the basket. I thought Julian uh, was so far more aggressive and assertive than then a lot of times we see him. He seemed to, the he seemed to really take it on himself. The game also got a little chippy during that stretch, and Ed Julian seems to thrive in that situation. Seems to really enjoy that. So uh, those two guys really carried the water for uh, for the Terps. I thought down the stretch of the game. Yeah, I mean, I was in talking about Dante. I just thought in the in the first half when they were in trouble, he kind of settled settled him down. But Reese yep. Reese yep. put his stamp on the final, you know, seven, eight minutes of that game like no other game this year. And we've talked a lot about him. I mean, this the, the development, the growth of him as a player, the production, the way it's increased, the way he's be essentially become a double-double, you know, given um, against teams that are physical and big in and, and, and our league and yesterday. And, yes, Bell going out was probably – and, by the way, Dante drew Bell's fifth foul by taking it right at him. Um, and yeah, and yeah. that and that was such a smart play. I mean, you said it. I mean, I, he had a, a, a very high IQ game. But if I had told you in November, even December, that Julian Reese is going to be perhaps the most valuable player on the team if Jameer Young isn't, and by the way, we're going to get to the tournament, and he's essentially going to dominate the final eight minutes of a tournament game to get him to the second <laughs> round, you would have told me I was nuts. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but you can't, there are two parts of that too, you know, he had a lost year last year, I, in retrospect, I feel terrible for, for what he had to endure, he was you know, there was a coaching change in the middle of the year. He's playing behind a guy who he probably didn't deserve to play behind, you know, because Julian showed flashes last year. His, his, uh, his growth was completely stymied by the circumstances of last year. So now 
he's getting all this playing time, and he's just starting to figure out how good he can be. And it's it's almost like we all we're all watching the light go on above his head, you know. And wow, I can do this. I can now if you just iron out some of the free throw issues that he's got. Uh, you know, now you're talking about a guy with a complete package, but he has been absolutely enormous. And since like the middle of January or late January, he is he's he's been as good a player as they've had consistently uh, on this team. You know, I we've talked about the shooting and when they were really struggling to shoot. And I remember, I think we both kind of uh, discussed the fact that, you know, some of these guys actually can stroke it. Like Dante Scott's got a good stroke. I mean, Hart, even though it's awkward, has a good stroke. Don Carey can really shoot it. Martinez actually has a really good stroke. Um, And they've had some in recent games, some really good shooting performances. Julian Reese, I forget if we've talked about this or not. Last year, he had a much better shooting stroke with more arc, with more backward rotation, and this year it's become totally flat. Is that my imagination or not? Uh, it's almost like there's some game slippage that goes on. This kid lives at the free throw line in practice. I- I've seen him shoot hundreds and hundreds of practice, of practice free throws, and I think that sometimes he gets to the game he gets – you know, he reverts, and, and the shot has doesn't have enough arc, doesn't have enough, you know, it's so it's, to me, it's a, without getting too nerdy, it's the release. You know, if he's, if, generally speaking, if you're missing the shot right or left, your offhand is on the ball too much. Yeah. Okay? And that's usually the case with him. That, that right hand for him is on the ball way too long. It's a one-handed release. And yet, even with that, even when he's straight on, there's no arc on the shot whatsoever, and there's low margin for error as a result of that. So uh, these are fixable things, I think. I, I you know, you're not going to. It's hard to address them right now. You know, with sure. in March, uh, but hopefully he gets a chance. He shot ten free throws, I think, against uh, West Virginia. Hopefully, hopefully he gets another ten against Alabama. That would be a good thing for this team, and it also means he's kept himself on the floor long enough to get ten free throws. You know, I don't think I had looked this up until right now. He was an 80% free throw shooter last year. Now, he didn't get to the free throw line as much, but the stroke was different last year. It was a much, you know, it was a much better stroke. In fact, I think a couple of times last year he launched a couple of threes that didn't look terrible. Um, Took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, he took took the words right. Yeah, he shot threes and made three. I know. uh, Last year. And now it's it's almost, uh, it's, you can't imagine him stepping up on the three-point line right now, but that's one of those things that'll keep him in school. So I'm all, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, because if he, if he all of a sudden, on top of, of the fact of being six nine but long, um, and yeah. you know a rebounder, he's got a, a he's got really good basketball IQ. He's got a, a couple of good moves, the jump hook. You know, he rebounds. Yeah. He's competitive. Uh, if he started knocking down three stretch in the floor, we'd be watching his final game tomorrow night, maybe. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, all right. Um, the stretch of the game that really pissed me off was 38-31, beginning of the second half, and a game in which people were literally throwing other players through glass windows in the first half, they decided they were going to take five minutes to review a slip screen by Dante Scott, which actually there was very little, if any, contact, and nothing got called. And I asked Willard about that this morning because Kevin was on the radio show with me this morning, and he said that it took a lot of steam out of him. You were there. Did you feel that momentum lost in that moment? Absolutely. Absolutely, and and I, this is something I rail about. I I'm all for replay. I, I'm all for it. And uh, but you're just trying to make Zabe happy. Be, you're just trying to make Zabe happy. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be a cap on the uh, amount of time you can please. You can look at something, and whether it's, I don't know what that number is, twenty or thirty seconds. Now, when I bring this up with officials, their comment to me, and and it's funny the give and take here, Kevin. So they'll say to me. Well, a lot of times we go over there and we can't get the look that we need on the replay. So it takes time for that to set up, and which is kind of laughable to me because these guys go over there and they control the re, re, the replay process. They've got the little 
mouse pad thing that they dial up and slow down the you know the the action and stuff and so i to to me you put 30 seconds on the clock use the shot clock 30 seconds you don't see anything on there that we play on play on and it's a killer and especially killer i get it in the last two minutes where possessions are paramount and stuff like that but uh in that situation that time of the game it just completely crushed the turps and then the the, the west virginia point guard johnson goes on like a 10-0 run immediately after that, or 12-0 run. Uh, he he scored that, thirteen. He scored ten straight in thirteen of their next sixteen uh, on a sixteen zero yeah. run that went from thirty eight thirty one Terps to forty seven thirty eight West Virginia. By the way, part of the beauty in hindsight of the game is just the back and forth and the runs that were amazing yeah. in the game that you didn't think the other team would recover from once it happened, but they did. I thought the Turks might run away and hide up 38-31. Yeah. They were playing great when that happened, and then the air went out of the balloon. You're right. Yeah. Um, you talked about Jameer, uh, Jameer Young, and I, I, I'm curious as to what you're seeing. In in recent games, it looks like teams are you know, definitely doubling off the ball screen, um, especially if it's a good defender off the ball screen. You know, they probably have to figure out how to get the worst defender into the ball screen uh, on the other team. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, that's that's what you always try to do if they're really good at playing the ball screen. But they they also are disrupting the the dribble handoffs and pushing out on those, especially with Julian. Um, and they're really I've noticed more in the Big Ten than necessarily yesterday. But they're really saying you're going to have to beat us going to your right and he's you know he's a good player and he's explosive but he's explosive most of the time going left what are you seeing in terms of his recent struggles and the way he's being uh, defended yeah i mean i think that more often than not they're also putting bigger guards on him now west virginia's got a bunch of six three six four guys that are that are big guys i, I thought he really struggled for instance with the big body of uh uh, Hood Shafino from Indiana. Yeah. Um, even Minnesota in the game before that put, put a you know a six seven kid on him, and uh, and it made it a little problematic for for Jameer. And this is one of those things where he's going to have to adjust. This is I, I I'm not telling Kevin Willard how to run a program or anything <laughs> like that, but this is where this is where film study becomes absolutely essential. He needs to look at himself, what they're doing, what the teams are doing to him. And you know you develop counters. You talk about counters for how to how to deal with that. But uh, he got caught a couple of times getting clamped on that high screen, and he just didn't respond well to it. And it took him a while to find the rhythm of that West Virginia defense. But uh, and you're right, he is predominantly left-handed. That doesn't go to his right nearly enough. He did get there a few times yesterday with a with a favorable matchup, but. You know he's got he's had a remarkable year, and yet there's a lot of things he can he can do better for his team, and I think he knows that. I I talked with Jameer for a while before the game, excuse me, the day before the game, and he, he was really disappointed with how he played in Chicago, and he was just looking forward to moving on and and playing more basketball. Um, I know we're we're going to focus on on what's next here in a moment, but. Next year, do you have any sense of who's coming back? I mean, Hakeem, Jameer, Dante can all come back, right, for a fifth COVID yeah. year? Correct, correct. I, I, I think you have to sort of, you know, I'm pretty positive about it because I think you, you weigh it against the alternative. And I know in talking to NBA guys, uh, there's no real, you know, all the NBA guys know who these guys are, know who Hakeem and. Dante and Jameer are, but there's no real market for them. I mean, they're, they, I suppose any of, the, any of them or all of them can go to the combine and see how they grade out and test, but we've, we've all seen a pretty good sample size. Do you think, like, I feel for Jameer, think about this, as good as he's been, 16 points per game, Kevin, you know, you look at the position of point guard and professional basketball, is he better than any of the 32, or, or excuse me, probably 64 point guards in the world, which basically, you know, the best 64 point guards play in the NPA probably. Is he better than those guys? Probably certainly not better than the top 32. And so, uh, you know, he's, he, these guys, 
I think they'll be back. And I and with NIL, you could pay them. Um, I think that they they know that if they come back, you might be looking at a team with the right additions. You know, there's a top five, top ten team uh, yeah. going in the next season. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, actually, I think all three of them would have a chance to get paid playing professionally. In some ways, I think Hakeem actually has a chance to really play because he's so unique and he's so long and he can do so many things. And Dante can shoot it, you know, I mean, he he really has a good stroke. I don't know if it'll ever become consistent, but they could all potentially earn money playing abroad. Um, but yeah, no, I'm with you. They're not NBA players. Uh, all right. And by the way, Maryland will be, um, if I haven't mentioned this already, people, they will be active in the portal themselves. Uh, there could be oh, some yeah. very exciting, um, you know, ads from the portal uh, when we get to the uh, end of this season. All right. So um, tomorrow night, you st- did you stick around and watch Bama? I did. I did. Yeah. And I've seen, of course, they've been America's team this year. I've seen them on TV a hundred times. Uh, yeah, they're formidable. And even without their best player yesterday for the, for the uh, majority of that game, uh, you know, they're just long and athletic. Uh, they've got all sorts of guys off, the, you know, they play guys off the bench. I think one of the guys who doesn't get enough credit is their point guard, uh, Quinterly. And, uh, I, I just think they're really good. I mean, uh, there's there's not a whole there aren't a whole lot of holes uh, to what they do. Um, are they better than the team we got run out of the building by two years ago or worse? I don't think they have all the weapons that they had that year. I agree. Uh, yeah, I mean that team was when they got it going against the Terps in that game. It was it was over early. It just felt like we never really had a chance in that game, which is disappointing because. Yeah, they had such a great win against UConn prior. Uh, so, yeah, it was disappointing. I, I think the Terps, I, I'm not going to say they match up well with them. I think the Terps could do some things, you know, i.e. change defenses, uh, you know, pressure a little bit just to slow the game down. You don't want this game to get out of control pace-wise. I know some of the Terps like, like, love to run and get up and down the court. I think you have to be judicious about that. You know what's so funny? I think I mentioned this with Tommy yesterday or maybe earlier in the week. Do you know where Maryland is in pace of play, possessions per game nationally? Do you know where they're ranked? No. 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 323rd out of 368 teams. <clears throat> and wow. I th- And I think what's interesting about that is that early in the season, you know, the Miami game, the St. Louis game – and, you know, everybody's like, this is the way we want to play stylistically, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to press, we're going to run, we're going to be a team in transition. And look, they do try to tra- play in transition more, but I think it just speaks to, my answer is it's the league they play in. These teams and these coaches just don't let you run. It's also, and I, you beat me to the punch on that, Kevin, it's it, the, the level of preparation when you're seeing these teams, you know, two, three times with really good basketball coaches, you know, you like you call out a play and the defense runs to your spots. You know, uh, it's hard, uh, particularly, you know, I think was thinking about when we've got to the Big Ten tournament and, you know, in some cases teams are playing each other for the third time. It by almost by its very nature is going to be a low-scoring game simply because you just you're used to all the action, you know, used to all the tendencies and things like that. Uh, so that's a big part of the you know the, that pace number, I'm sure. Yeah, I just pulled up the updated numbers. Maryland's 340th in pace of play possessions per game uh, out of 363 schools, but. You know, to emphasize the point, Wisconsin's 341, Purdue's 342, Penn State's 332. You know, all the teams yeah. in the league are right there. They're going to play a team tomorrow night that is third in the country um, in possessions uh, per per game. So, but the but the who are one and two? Yep, yeah, uh, Tulane and Pepperdine um, are, are okay. one and two. Uh, you know, you see a lot of these mid-major league teams in this, and and a lot of in, in uh, way up on the list because I think you just have a difference in scouting and maybe even coaching to a certain degree. I don't know, um, but uh, the thing about it is that I actually think, unlike 
Mark didn't necessarily really want to run. He was really about being efficient offensively, and I think Kevin is to a certain degree too, but I think he'd like to run, and maybe getting out of the league and playing Alabama tomorrow night, maybe that's not the team you want to run with, Um, but maybe for Jameer, to your earlier point, it'll be an opportunity uh, for him uh, tomorrow night. Yeah, I I thought yesterday was played with a pretty good pace. Yes. You know, I mean – 67, 65 really doesn't indicate to me, uh, you know, I thought the game got up and down a little bit yesterday. Now it's going to be a a lot different tomorrow night, but uh, uh, sometimes the quality of play does not allow you to, you know, I mean, if guys aren't making shots, then those numbers get further skewed. It doesn't mean they're not getting up and down the court. It just means they're not making shots, right? Yeah, I mean, and Maryland was 55% in the first half, but they had eight turnovers. So that's that's eight yeah. more shot attempts you didn't get. And yesterday's uh-huh. game was typical, you know, West Virginia in, in Huggins. They they mucked it up. I mean, you had 43 yeah. fouls. And I, I said earlier, that's a game that lasted two and a half hours. But if they had called everything, by the way, including travels and carries and everything else, that game would have lasted three and a half hours. Because yeah, the, you, you couldn't call everything in that game. I, by the way, I love games like yesterday. I don't, I don't love the smooth, non-contact, you know, beautiful. To me, yesterday was pretty to watch. I mean, that that was a competitive bloodfest, start to finish. Well, and I think that if the, those two teams played each other ten times, I, I think Maryland <laughs> might win. Might might win six. It's probably more likely to just. Five, five, and five. Yeah. You know, I think you just trade trade blows. Depends on where you play in the game, I suppose. All right, last one. Um, shifting to a, a different team. I don't know if you've read any of the criticism of Tony Bennett off of the loss yesterday to Furman. Virginia goes down, you know, on a bad play by Kihei Clark. He's been a phenomenal player for that program, obviously, and a national championship uh, player as well. Um, and Pat Forty, who's been a long time, you know, college basketball, college sports writer, essentially wrote a column saying, you know, now it's official. The 2019 Virginia championship was a total fluke. Um, this guy has won as much as anybody in the sport over the last 10, 11 years. But stylistically, we understand that, you know, you're vulnerable sometimes in a one and done. Do you think criticizing Tony Bennett um, because he's been ousted three out of the last four tournaments in the first round by a much lesser opponent is justified or not? Well, I mean, this, the style of play that they play allows other teams to stick around, right? They're not blowing anybody out. Uh, and then when in a situation like yesterday – Things happen. You know, lightning strikes a little bit, and that was just an almost inconceivable play by Kihei Clark, who's, been, who's played thousands of minutes in the uniform and played, you know, 99% of them pretty well. Uh, a stunning loss. I, I, I will tell you that one of the things I would really take exception to in all that is the concept that any national championship is a fluke. Right. Uh, because every game that you play is it's a one and done. It's sudden death. You don't win it, you're going home. And for a team to make a run like they did and win all those games, particularly the games in the Final Four that were as dramatic as could be, yeah. uh, you know, and the Texas Tech game was unbelievable, and they, they, they scored points in that game. I, I don't think you can ever call a national championship a fluke, and that's, that's kind of a, uh, an insult to the process uh, itself. As for the the style and losing three of the first four, you know, uh, Gary Williams will always will always tell you, you got to score. You know, it's not it's not six it's not four out of seven. It's not three out of five. A team just has to has to win one game against you. And the fact of the matter is, is that it, you know there are good teams and good players everywhere. So uh, that sort of thing is going to happen. I, I'm a huge Bennett fan. I. I, I'm not telling you that I love the style necessarily at all, but I think he's a great coach. He's, I think he's a great X and O guy. He teaches what he teaches, and beyond that, he's like one of the best guys on the planet. You know, so uh, it's hard to take it's hard for me to take issue with uh, with Bennett and UVA at this point. National championship, Elite Eight, multiple Sweet Sixteens. Um, he's won. 
six ACC regular season titles. He's won 70% of his ACC games. Like, if anybody at UVA actually thinks they should be looking elsewhere, you should be drug tested. Because (laughs) because UVA forever was kind of lost in the ACC wilderness. You know, really, you had Holland and Jeff Jones. Jeff Jones won pretty big there. And then after that, it was... You know, you're talking about probably, what, 15 years of desert. And this guy's won more than anybody in the history of the school and finally got him their national championship. Because I always felt in the ACC that Virginia was an underachiever, that there was a much bigger upside for them. You know, when you go back to, to, you know, the, the 80s, 70s and 80s and Ralph, and then even some of the Jeff Jones teams. You know, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, and um, it's amazing what, what he's done. And the other thing is, I think that you you, you want to take assessment of him. The numbers are staggering. Look at what he did against Kay and Roy before they left. Right. He owned those guys. He absolutely owned, owned those guys. Yeah, and 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 that is absolutely undeniable that he did. I the the tournament is just a different animal, man. It's it's it, that's why it's so great. Is that you just, it's just one game. And if you, you don't get it done and the other team sticks around, like Furman made some plays down the stretch. I don't know. Did you see the last few minutes in their entirety? Uh, you know, our game had just ended, and once the you know I, I went back and listened to a little bit of the studio, I flipped it just as Kia Clark was throwing the ball away. Look at go go. It's on YouTube. I watched it this morning. The last like three minutes of the game, and it's amazing what Furman was able to do to stick themselves, to keep themselves in the game. Because I thought, I thought with ninety seconds to play, that Virginia had the game in hand. They missed some free and, throws. Uh, Clark missed a free did, throw. Well, he missed a big free throw. He made one and missed one, and uh, and that was a big part of their problems yesterday too. You you leave that door ajar, and somebody's going to barge in. And yeah. Furman, God bless them, they did it. Yeah, amazing. All right, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Enjoy tomorrow night. Uh, hopefully, Brandon Miller isn't healthy. Um, didn't play a lot <laughs> yesterday. I mean, that's really to me that's the, that's the key to the game. I mean, if he's not a hundred percent. Uh, that would be big. All right, thanks. Talk to you this weekend. All right, bye. All right, bye. All right, we'll finish up the show with a quick smell test. Uh, five picks for today's first round, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell test. test. Two and four yesterday, not so good. Had Maryland uh, and San Diego State as winners. UVA, Illinois, Iowa, and Tennessee were the losers. Tennessee went off at minus 12. I gave it out on the show at minus 10.5. They had an 18-point lead, one by three. By the way, tomorrow um, I'll tweet out some smell test picks before uh, the second round gets underway at Kevin Sheehan DC on Twitter. I can tell you right now, good chance I'm going to have Maryland against Alabama and Tennessee against Duke. That number is super short. All right, today's games. USC is the first game of the day. They're catching two against Michigan State. That's short. Uh, The public's on Michigan State. I'll take USC and Andy Enfield's team 
uh, getting the two. St. Mary's uh, is laying four and a half against VCU. Uh, Virginia Commonwealth is one of those 12-5, you know, popular picks, upset picks. I'll take St. Mary's and lay the four and a half. Uh, Baylor uh, today, first of all, I like Baylor in this tournament. I also liked Iowa in the tournament, and they are out. Um, I like Baylor in this tournament. They're laying 10 and a half. Uh, Actually, it's 10 against UC Santa Barbara. Uh, A lot of UC Santa Barbara people out there for some reason. I'll take Baylor and lay the 10. Nobody thinks Purdue's going to win this tournament. I don't either. Um, But a lot of people like Fairleigh Dickinson after their fairly strong performance in the 16 versus 16 game the other night. Purdue's laying 22. I'll take the Boilers and lay the 22. And then Florida Atlantic's playing Memphis. Memphis just beat Houston in their conference championship game. Florida Atlantic's actually been a ranked team for much of the year. They finished 31-3. and They're getting a point and a half as the nine seed. Publix on Memphis. I'll take Florida Atlantic. So USC plus two, St. Mary's minus four and a half, Baylor minus 10, Purdue minus two, uh, 22, and Florida Atlantic plus one and a half. Uh, wager uh, carefully. Um, that was brought to you by, of course, our good friends at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC. All right, I am done for the day. Uh, enjoy St. Patrick's Day, those of you who celebrate. Uh, I will be doing so, and enjoy uh, the basketball weekend. I'll be back on Monday and lay the 10. Nobody thinks Purdue.